God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us, be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Seated. No ifs, ands, or buts. But mom, but dad. We hear these conjunctions quite a bit in life. We probably use them on a regular basis in some way or another. And they are usually used, or at least I usually use them, when I am trying to get out of something or to avoid something, when I am trying to put a stipulation or a condition on something that I probably should be doing anyway. Um, I hear this all the time around my house, day in and day out, and it is always to try to control something, um, a stipulation. You know, typically preteens and teenagers think that they control a lot more than they do, or maybe it's that they want to control a lot more than they do. Um, How about this one? But I'm not the one who left the refrigerator door open. I shouldn't have to shut it. I don't care if everything goes bad, right? It doesn't matter. It's not fair. It's not right. But it's not my plate. Why would I possibly want to take a plate with rotting food on it into the kitchen? I would much rather smell it and watch it simply rot more on the counter in the living room. All out of fairness. Dadgummit. If I do this, shouldn't I also get that? What do you mean that's what I get for living here? That doesn't compute. But she got a special treat when she did it. Where are my gummy bears? Well, she was four when that happened, (laughs) ten years ago. (laughs) But mom, but dad, my son, William, Mary is helping her parents down in Tallahassee with a few things, so William is at home by himself because Mary took the other two with her. So he said, hey, dad, what could I do to make some extra chores, to make a little bit of money around the house tomorrow. I wanted to say, I'll pay you more just to do what you're already supposed to do, right? (laughs) I said, well, why don't you go and clean out the chicken coop and just check on the chickens? Because that is something that your mom wants you to do. You hear me talk about the chickens a lot. Who, by the way, have stopped laying eggs? And I keep telling Mary, if they were on a farm, they would now be stew hens rather than our pets that live in our backyard. So we just check on the chickens. i got to do it later, and I'm supposed to send photographic evidence to Mary that I've actually done it. So if you do it, be sure you take a picture of it. Um, But, Dad, I'll do anything else. I don't want to do the chickens. You know, starting to put kind of stipulations and qualifications on what he will do or what he won't do. And then my daughter who came home from camp yesterday, 
I was going in to give her a hug, and she was hugging me, and she said, well, okay, now can we go to dinner? Which is, yeah, that's a little, no, that's what I said. Ooh, ouch, tough stuff. Qualifications, quid pro quo. But mom, but dad, we hear this in our sleep. And I think that these conjunctions that are floating around in our lives, that are also floating around in today's gospel, give at least me a clue for what Jesus is saying to us, or to me anyway, today, particularly in verse 29. But who is my neighbor? Right? But what am I supposed to do? But what's what's the minimum here? Jesus, I mean, what's the, is this going to be on the test, right? <laughs> How far do I really have to go? Because if I go a little bit farther, then I'll feel good about myself. But, you know, just give me the threshold so I at least know if I'm in or out. <laughs> you know, because goodness knows, I got to know that. And because once I'm in, I can coast. You know, I can take it easy. But, Jesus, who is my neighbor? So where are we? We're on the road going from Jericho to Jerusalem, a well-traveled road, but a very dangerous road. It went through some treacherous territory. There are actually some places in the, on this road where the cliffs kind of on the sides um, are so high that there are certain places in the valley below where there no sun gets to it, right? It's always in kind of a shadow, and they say that that was the inspiration for, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because it was not only a very dangerous road, it was also a road that didn't have, in certain places, a lot of light, etc. So, anywhere that you have a lot of people traveling, you're going to have people that want to take advantage of them. So, it's not just the drive-by stands where you can, you know, get four for a dollar. You know, in the ancient world, it was somebody that was waiting on you to beat you up and to leave you for dead and to take everything you have. And that's what happened today. Um, Someone got beat up, and they're now kind of lying on the side of the road, I'm assuming bleeding and and left for nothing better than dead. And so we have a couple of people that pass them by, pass this person by. The first person that we have is a priest. A priest in the ancient world represented power. And that's the way I want to think about it today, is that somebody that had a certain amount of power, Um, somebody who... uh, in the ancient world would have wielded your in or your out, all of the things that would have gone with that, as opposed to the priesthood today. Um, and not saying anything about the priesthood today, but the priest in the ancient world was different in some ways. And so you had somebody that had a certain amount of power. And we've all known what it has been in one time or another to have power. And when you have it, sometimes it can go to your head. You can get used to it. You can begin to wield it without thinking about it. When you have it, you use it. Let's think about that in our world today. Have you ever known someone who is a little bit passive-aggressive? Man, this isn't mine, right? I'm saying maybe it's your spouse. Not my spouse, Mary, if you eventually listen to this. Um, You know, somebody that you walk around on eggshells. Don't do that. They exist in the community. They exist in the church. They exist everywhere. Don't do that because he might react negatively. (laughs) Don't do that or she'll do this. 
right? We all know what that is. Somebody who exercises power sometimes without even thinking about it, often without thinking about it. How about the teenager who is moody? Or the six-year-old who has mood swings of going up or down? Don't say anything. Just don't ruin the trip. If we can just make it 100 more miles, it'll be perfect. Just don't say anything. We'll address it later. Yes, I know that's not good behavior. Yes, I know that we're turning them into a monster, but it's just not a monster I want to deal with right now. So just be quiet. We've all been there, and power loves power, loves to hold it, gives nothing away. And don't think that those who are doing it subconsciously don't ultimately know that they wield a great deal of power. So we have one with power, who decided to walk on the other side of the road. We then have a Levite. The tribe of Levi held a special position. Many times priests came from the tribe of Levi. They were Levites, but not all of the time. They had a certain identity in the ancient world. The Levi, I am a Levite after all, right? I am from Alabama. If you've ever met somebody from Texas, it can be insufferable. I'm from Texas. Okay, great. You know, I want to say big deal, but, uh, you know, Texas is great, whatever. Um, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm, you know, this identity that we all get caught up into. And so the Levite would have had that. I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative. All of the groups that we have, the demographics, the cohorts that we find ourselves in. And if you think that you have not been on the giving side of identity politics, or the receiving side, I would remind you that most of us have been to high school. That is the breeding ground for identity politics. It is the breeding ground for in and out, and for who you are and who you aren't. So we've all been there. The Levite decided to walk on the other side of the road, and these People did it not because they were being bad. They were doing it because it's what they thought they should do. You had somebody who was bleeding on the other side of the road. If I touch them, then I'm unclean. Right? My law tells me I can't touch them right now. So I'm doing what kind of generations have told me that I should do. It's not just because I'm being a jerk or I woke up kind of persnickety. No, it's because my power and my identity and all of those things tell me that this is what I am supposed to do. And now we have this man, this lawyer, who wasn't a lawyer like we think of him. It was a lawyer in most likely a church lawyer, a scribe, somebody who kind of knew their scripture, testing Jesus in some ways. But who is my neighbor? But Jesus... Who is my neighbor? You know, I don't want to have to cross the road. I'm not even supposed to do that. But, but, is this going to be on the test? Jesus. And it asks, or it begs the question, what births compassion? What births compassion in our world? a world that so desperately needs compassion and mercy? What births compassion in our homes, in our workplaces, in our own lives? 
It was the sufferer who actually knew what it was like to suffer. It was the Samaritan who showed him mercy. It was the Samaritan who knew what it was like to be absolutely and utterly without power in the world. You know, the Samaritans were half-breeds. You hear of it alluded to in Holy Scripture. Don't go to, you know, she's a Samaritan after all. Don't touch him. They were segregated, and they did some self-segregation on Mount Gerasim and the area around it. They were not whole Jews. Don't, ugh. It was like the muggles in Harry Potter, if you're a Harry Potter fan. Dirty muggles. But it was that one who knew what it was like to be a victim. Who knew what it was like to be without power. Who knew what it was like to be discriminated against at every corner. Who went across the road and showed compassion. The one who knew what it was to be categorized. He was completely free to identify with another sufferer. And you can be a victim, but be so full of anger that you have no compassion, right? It's what makes the Samaritan emblematic of compassion. He is free to love someone like himself. Now I could say, go and be like the Samaritan. Go and be just like him. I've probably preached that sermon a time or two. And I'm sure today there are a lot of folks saying that. And that's not a bad thing to say. I would love to be like the Samaritan. I would love to cross the road. But identifying with the Samaritan falls short for me at some places in my life. Because some days I don't want to do it. And a lot of days I can't do it. Some days I don't have the time. Etc., etc., etc. You're not the Samaritan. I'm not the Samaritan. We are the person left for dead on the side of the road. You are the one who is in the shadow of that valley with no hope who has been categorized by person after person that has walked by. They're not worth saving. I might get dirty. It's not the law. It's this. It's that. Always an excuse. You are that one. And someone has crossed the road. Someone has crossed the road to save you. Someone has crossed the road in your categorization in your dirtiness, in your muggleness, and has reached down to give you a helping hand and has taken you in and has taken you to safety and salvation and has paid the debt for you. And when we are that one, it is the birth of compassion when we see that. Because in every other face that we see on the side of the road, in the shadow, bleeding out, that is my Savior. It frees us. 
It frees us to love that impossible child or that impossible spouse or that impossible person at your work or in the church or in the world. It frees us to love ourselves. It frees us to love all. No ifs, ands, or buts. Amen.